It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Locked On Lakers for Friday. Brian Kamenetsky and Andy Kamenetsky. What would the Lakers be getting in Miles Turner if they got Miles Turner? That's next with Tony East of Locked On Pacers. You are Locked On Lakers. Your daily Los Angeles Lakers podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Thanks to everybody for making Locked on Lakers your first listen of every day, Monday through Friday, no matter how or where you get your podcasts, always free, never behind a paywall. Make another Locked on Podcast your second listen of the day after hours, definitely the second listen. Um, then you're free to do with whatever you want for the rest of your day. Uh, Tony East, Locked on Pacers, that's always a good choice. He's joining us right now uh, to kind of break down what this Indiana Lakers deal could look like, what the Pacers are thinking Give us an idea of the, t- of the players that might be coming back and anybody else uh, that the Pacers would be willing to throw in. Uh, Tony, thanks for coming on. We really appreciate it. Happy to be here. Happy to talk more about this Westbrook stuff because it has suddenly become the dominant Pacers story all of a sudden with about a month till camp. <laughs> so you're excited to figure out exactly how Halliburton and Westbrook were really <laughs> meshed together should this, this come to fruition. That is actually the hardest part on my end is I, I do the whole podcast and I forget to put the one sentence in there of the Pacers don't actually want Russell Westbrook <laughs> on their team to play basketball games for their team. Yes, well, that, that okay. is the hurdle. Tony, just look, I'm not going to doubt your knowledge of the Pacers. You're far more plugged into this team than either one of us are. But it is worth noting Rick Carlisle is generally thought of as a coach who prefers veterans and they would be bringing in a very seasoned accomplished veteran in Russell Westbrook. So I would just maintain an open mind, probably the one that uh, Rick Carlisle has himself. Uh, sure, sure. <laughs> I will keep an open mind in that way. I do, you know, with the, with the, they've stated quite often that Tyrese Halberton is a guy they would like to, you know, their, their GM, Chad Buchanan, liked him to potentially the next Reggie Miller for the franchise, right? Like they view him very highly. I don't think well, they're going to. Well, you he needs Reg- a mentor. I was just going to say that Reggie Miller had mentors are you going to leave Tyrese Halberton, the jewel of this franchise's development, just to nobody? You're going to throw him out to the Wolves by himself? He's a Hall- Russell West. Say what you want. Russell Westbrook is a first ballot Hall of Famer. I mean, do you like- think TJ McConnell is ready for this, Tony? I don't think so. TJ McConnell was a, a faux coach last year after he broke his wrist. He was being a coach in every practice essentially so he, he might be coach. ready but i don't think he's uh a- we actually have some questions about tj mcconnell later <laughs> in the show um but so like where are the pay like what are they trying to do because i think so much of this is there there is at least some confusion as are, are the pacers trying to fully rebuild like where where are they and what how do we get to this place where this trade is so front burner at least in the rumor mill for both teams yeah, the Pacers are in an interesting situation as 
a franchise that has always tried to win for the last three decades. This draft that just happened was their first time picking inside the top 10 since the 1980s. They have always tried to be good. They have always tried to make the postseason. And they finally are in a situation where they, you know, convinced ownership, hey, we should not be good last season. They won 26 games. They tore it down. They're the youngest team they've been in ages, ages. It's the They have 12 players, 25 or younger on their roster right now. It's the first real teardown rebuild they've done maybe ever. I mean, even after the brawl, even after they traded PG, even after Reggie stepped away, they, you know, they had Danny Granger in the fold. They had Paul George in the fold. Oladipo immediately ascended. Like, they've never had to do this. This is the first time mm-hmm. they're in this position. And so the Pacers have found themselves in a spot where they're looking to acquire young talent and they're looking to acquire assets. And that is where the first hurdle of – or the first reason for doing a Westbrook trade comes into play is acquiring more assets, getting pick picks, whatever, young players, although Horton Tucker being traded – does change it a little bit from the Lakers. And the other factor at play is because they have a younger team, they also have a cheaper team. They have a lot of cheap players. They're well below the salary floor. They have a ton of cap space right now. They are able to make a lopsided trade, and that makes them a good target for the Lakers to balance things out. They also have the two vets, really more than that, but two attractive vets to another team. They really just have like the perfect recipe of stuff to be involved in this rumor, and they're also in a situation where they're looking to get more assets, more picks, things of that nature. With that in mind, um, you know, there, there's, for example, Michael Scotto from uh, Hoops Hype had, had a report out today that some talks a while back, and we know this a while back because Taylor Horton Tucker was in, uh, reportedly involved with them, and he's now in Utah. They, they moved him for Patrick Beverly, but that Indiana at one point was asking for both of the Lakers' first-round picks plus Taylor Horton Tucker – and they wanted the Lakers to take on Daniel Tice's salary, um, the $18 million that he's owed over the next two years. The third year remaining is a team option that will be presumably declined. But <laughs> not opted. Right. Quite frankly, that's an insane ask. And, and Rob Palenka was correct to say no. But with Indiana now in a rebuild mode, which, as you said, is something that they are not typically accustomed to doing, do you have a sense of... A, how aggressive they're going to be looking to do this, and B, like sort of how aggressive they would be looking with their asks or sort of the position that they find themselves in as they look to do this sort of full rebuild. Kevin Pritchard in general is a pretty aggressive trade asker. You know, when I saw that stuff from Mike Scotto that you just talked about, I wasn't surprised at all, and I get why they would want a lot to do something like this, especially because they would then have to turn to their owner and say, hey, you have to pay this guy $47 million to not be on your basketball team, in theory, unless he does actually end up playing for the Pacers. Like that's Again, a- go back to our mentorship plan. <laughs> it's, it's, it's At least let's leave it on the table. Let's not- I appreciate this, man. You know. I really do. <laughs> uh, but, you know, that that is, he, he is aggressive in that way. I think the Pacers will be aggressive in their pursuit to get assets but i also think they know they have so much flexibility with this space like there there will be a time come the trade deadline where someone needs to shed salary to duck the tax someone needs a third team with space to make a three-team deal happen that they don't have to rent out their space to do this now they don't have to do it unless it makes sense for them from a value perspective whether that's taking a good veteran off the table in the deal whether that's getting something else back or conceding something you know it has to make sense for them given that flexibility has value in their current position and the players they're giving up have value. Well, one of them's a neutral value player and buddy healed given the, the, the talks, but you know, I think they can be aggressive just given their position that they, that they don't have to do anything. They can wait this out. Whereas 
know, from the Lakers perspective, they, like you said, maybe we'll be getting to a point where they can't do that pretty soon, but also because they value that flexibility that they, they can just sit and, and kind of be aggressive in their patience, if that makes any sense. Yeah. One of the, one of the things that I, I find interesting about this is, you know, you, the way you framed it and it, you know, laying it out where the Pacers are and, and the, the amount of players that they have under 25 and all of those things, it makes a lot of sense, obviously, but I, I do think there are a lot of people from like the Lakers perspective who look at this trade and go, why are they so, why, why is Miles Turner so much part of this? Um, because from an age standpoint, I understand the contract and, you, and you'll, I'm sure you'll take this where you want to go, but just from an age standpoint, Miles Turner's 26 years old. He's a, he's barely a year older than Chris Duarte. Um, you know, so it's, he's not older. Um, you can rebuild and keep Miles Turner. So why is he part of this conversation so much? Yeah, Duarte's age breaks a lot of comparisons when it comes to to timelines and rebuilds and things like that. Because Duarte's four years older than THT. (laughs) He's older than Brandon Ingram, who was drafted, as Lakers fans know, forever ago. (laughs) Um, Yeah, the, the thing with Turner is, first and foremost, he's been in trade rumors forever. Like every deadline, every summer, because Sabonis was on the Pacers and was playing very well, they had reason to explore Turner trade. So he's always been in trade talks. They've never been afraid to, to see what value they could get for him, including with the Lakers in, in past off seasons and trade deadlines, as you guys I'm sure know. So that's part of it is they've always sort of explored his value note. It is the other factors at play here. One, they just went after DeAndre Ayton very publicly. They, they actually signed him until he, he joined the Suns. You know, that's different. When you have a guy in trade talks, you can say like, hey, we're doing what's best for our team, but we still really value you. When you actively try to sign a guy to start over a guy, that's very different and much harder to, to talk to him about. You know, it's unclear where the Turner Pacers relationship is. Carlisle and Turner have spent time together this summer. Carlisle was at Miles Turner's camp after the Aiton stuff happened. I still think they're close. I don't think their relationship is bad, but that certainly sent a message to him when they did pursue DeAndre Ayton. And the second point is, and this is the one where I think the reason they've been exploring Turner trades the most, there's really three, but this is the strongest one. He only has one year left on his deal. He can be an unrestricted free agent next year for a rebuilding team. You cannot lose a positive value asset for nothing. If they think that including him in this trade is the way that they can get the most back for him in some way. If that's a totally unprotected pick way out in the future, if that's something else, I don't know. That makes sense to do it now because you never know. He's been hurt at the end of the last two seasons. That certainly is the third thing that is impacting his value. Perhaps they want to explore the trades now and not deal with him maybe getting hurt and losing value again. So I think the timing makes sense now. And if they can get the most value now for a guy that could leave in a year anyway, it makes sense for them to pursue it. Yeah, I actually disagree with Brian that Turner makes any sense for this team at all moving forward just because he's you could, I, I, there's an argument <laughs> well, to be made for it. He's too I, I, will say, I, I think he's too that. old. He's too old. He's, I, he's too old. Right, but he's too old for the timeline and not good enough that I think you would make that type of exception for him. He's not good enough to be built around and sort of earmarked as part of a rebuild. Okay, he's a, know, he's the, a good the, player. But but let's that's dependent in some point in some ways on how much you think you have to spend to keep him and how much, the, which is a relevant right. question, I think, for the Lakers. And so let's ask that next. When I mean, we want to dive as well into sort of the skill set, but like what kind of money is Miles Turner going to cost? It's relevant to both teams. We'll ask that next. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league 
helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So you're hanging out with some friends and putting back some drinks. A few becomes a few too many and the evening comes to an end. People start to head out and you think of calling for a ride. And it's like, nah, you know what? I live nearby. I, I think I can make it home. It's no big deal. And, you know, what are the odds that you're going to get pulled over anyway? And even so, what's the worst thing that could happen? Your insurance goes up. You lose your license. You lose your job. You total your car. You you injure someone else. You kill someone else. You can see where this is going. Everybody knows about the risks of drunk driving. And the results are tragic. They're often deadly. And that still, however, doesn't stop people from getting behind the wheel while under the influence. And that's why police officers are out there right now looking for impaired drivers on our roads. It's to save lives. So if you think you're okay to drive after a few drinks, think again, play it safe, plan ahead, get a ride. It only takes one mistake to change your life or someone else's forever. Drive sober or get pulled over. All right, so Andy, I understand what you're saying, but do you agree at least that to some degree, the point you're making about whether or not Turner would make sense depends on how much money he costs. You know, I mean, I guess, like Indiana. I guess, but any type of realistic cost for Miles Turner, I think, makes him not make sense for the Pacers as part of a pretty. So, what, so Tony, to that extent, like, what do they think he's going to cost them to keep him around? I think he would, to, to both of your points, I think he would make sense for a Pacer rebuild if they think they can be good pretty soon, like next year or the year after. But realistically, I don't know that they can be good in that timeline. So I think you're, where you view him in the Pacers rebuild sort of depends on when you think they'll be good again as a you team. You say the same about the Lakers, though. <laughs> that's that's true. You could say that about many teams. Uh, it, it's, it's really tough to know what he wants financially. The Pacers could extend him right now at a deal that starts over $20 million next year. I think it's four for 94 is the max extension they can offer him right now. Uh, I'm sure if he would take that, they would they would have done that seconds ago because that would be a nice contract for him. I believe I saw reported today from Mike Scotto in that podcast on Hoopside that he's looking for a deal north of $20 million per year on his next deal. Looking around the league this past summer, that sounds like a lot. Like Yusuf Nurkic goes for $17 million a year. You've seen centers who are just slightly worse than him teeter on that mid to upper teens range. I think he can be, especially on teams where that need defense, a $20 million per year center. So if that is from his incumbent team, whether that's the Pacers, the Lakers, whoever, whether that's as an unrestricted free agent next year, I think he would like to fetch that deal. And I think there are teams that make sense to give him that. But with the value of centers in the league these days, it's impossible to say if he'll actually get it, if that makes any sense. It does make sense. I still stand by my contention that he makes no sense for where I think <laughs> this team is in a rebuild. But I do think Miles Turner is a good player. With that in mind, though, as the Pacers look to negotiate with the Lakers on this, and the Lakers have been more connected to Turner and Heald than, to the best of my knowledge, any other team in the league, how much interest do you think there is for Turner and, I guess, Heald around the league that A, could allow the Pacers to feel like they're in a good place of position for negotiating, but also, too, like, are they pretty insistent on looking to move them together? Because there has been some talk that they want them to be a package deal. I don't think they're insistent on, on okay. getting them to move together. I think in this situation, it makes sense. 
just from for both teams' perspective. But you know, the, the Turner like every cycle the Hornets, you know, aren't involved in some way. They've needed a center since I was born. You know, the Knicks have always been involved, though they just got Hartenstein and Rob Mitchell Robinson. The Lakers in the past. You know, the Mavs. He's from Dallas. The Pelicans. Like I could go on and on. There's teams that called the Pacers a lot in the past, right? So I think demand for him will still be there by himself in a package deal, whatever it is, for positive value stuff at some point this season, if that's now, if that's December, if that's trade deadline, whatever, unless he gets hurt. Uh, Buddy Heald's a different story because, you know, he was a negative value player with the Kings. He came to the Pacers and played much better to the point that I think he's a neutral value player on his current two-year deal left. But his defense isn't very good, and sometimes he thinks he deserves more of a role than he actually has to the point that I think – if he was on a team that, like the Lakers, for example, where his role would be obvious, you are the fourth option, but the best shooter, run around the perimeter, you know, don't dribble that much. He would slide into that role very well. I think he would accept that role and thrive in it. He'd be very good on good teams, whereas on worse teams, he's not as valuable. So his trade value is kind of dependent on who's getting him and what the situation is for that team. I don't think he's, like, not to say he's not worth anything, but he's a neutral value guy on his current deal with his defense and some of his limitations, but... You know, I don't think the demand for him is necessarily hugely strong unless a team like the Lakers, for example, needs a shooter. So he might be harder to move and why maybe they would say, OK, it's easier to move him if he's attached to Turner. But I don't think they necessarily view them as a we have to package them or we feel like this is the only way we can trade. Them. Well, I mean, for the Lakers, from the Lakers you know, perspective and, you know, in this particular deal, if you're going to move westward, you can't do it without Buddy Heald. Right, like it's just sure. it just the math just doesn't work <laughs> unless it's um, something stupid like Tyson McConnell or something. But that, what's the point for the Lakers, right? So. Right. I mean, yeah. although Andy is oddly fascinated with TJ McConnell, he I mean, for at eight million bucks a year, he can't shoot, but he's not a terrible well, backup point guard. TJ TJ McConnell. The reason I've been interested in potentially taking him on, and I, I guess this could be applied to Daniel Tice, I suppose, as well. I'd say probably less so. Just the idea that maybe it allows the Lakers to either turn one of those first-round picks the Pacers want into a second-round pick for taking on that money or allows them to add certain degrees of protection on at least one of the picks because you're helping Indiana clean their books. It's not really about TJ McConnell. Like I think he's fine, but the Lakers, the last thing they need is an undersized guard. They, they got you know a an undersized guard who can't shoot. Right, and specifically, side, yeah. I mean, like, there's a, there's a lot of very specific duplication there. TJ McConnell and Patrick Beverly would lead the league in fan favoriteness, though. That they, is a. I, I will say that is a that is a sticky hands backcourt. That's like, an all time likable backcourt. They me. they will generate both some steals and they will generate a lot of booze from opposing fan base. <laughs> would that work though, Tony? Andy's um, kind of the the concept behind that of. You know, not you know, the, the, they shot down the the Tice thing because you don't add THT to that deal to take on a fifth center onto your right. roster. But if it meant oh, taking on one Tice means picks, you don't include THT, right? <laughs> so yeah. exactly, it, like it, if if the if the Lakers were to be willing to take on those dead salaries, you know, at least one of them, because I think the math would still work if it was just Westbrook or maybe you, you know, you find another player to put in there. Do you think Indiana would be open to saving the money or are they really looking to hoard the picks? Yeah, there's always some value for more flexibility. But, you know, if you're the Pacers, one, you already are going to have a lot of cap space next year, regardless of if you have McConnell and Tyson on your books or not. And two, small market teams, cap space is 
somewhat meaningless unless you're very good and they're not projecting to be very good. So it's not like they can have this space to go get an awesome player in free agency. If they have a lot of cap space next year, they would be using it to do this exact thing <laughs> with a different player instead of Russell Westbrook gets Tobias Harris or whatever other trillion dollar player that is paid too much. So, you know, I mean, it's again, having more flexibility is nice. Like if they could do it, I'm sure they would, they would try. That's why they, you know, reportedly tried to get Tyson originally, but it's not like I don't think it'd be a priority for them. I don't think finances are a big driver for them in any deal. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, like Eric Pincus wrote about it on uh, uh, Wednesday, and other people obviously have, have been looking, breaking down this deal. Like Andy and I have been big advocates of of if you're going to trade both of these picks, and the Lakers certainly seem like they're going to be a situation where they may need to. Although, um, perhaps maybe there's a way to do it with Utah where you get to hold on to one. If you're going to trade both of them, get as many good players as you can because the Lakers need guys to fill out that roster. The only downside, really, I think, to Indiana is they don't have a lot of those spare dudes. You know, you can look at Utah and say, okay, you know, the the Jordan Clarkson, you know, Bogdanovich classic Conley. player, they're not great, but those are useful NBA players. The Pacers don't have a whole lot of that beyond healed and um, and, and, and Miles Turner, that's kind of it, right? Are we missing anyone? No, they're only, I mean, there are four guys over 25 are Turner healed, uh, McConnell and Tice, right. And, and Tice has shown some, <laughs> good. Value. we've covered everybody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Tice has some value on good teams, I guess, but not really. And he'd be, you know, he's the fit center on the Pacers. Like he, you know, he, yeah. he had that, that's where he is at. Yeah. I, I mean, think he go ahead. truly makes no sense for right. the Lakers. I don't think he all. does either. I don't think McConnell makes sense for the Lakers either for the reasons no. you let it earlier, but he he can, again, also contextually be good, but not for the Lakers. Neither of them would be. So you're right to say that the only good players, both in general and in the context of the Lakers, would be Buddy Heald and Miles, yes. That, right, so that what the Pacers would be willing to move, I, I should add. I'm sure they'd be willing to move either one. <laughs> yeah. um, all right, so what do the Lakers get, particularly in Miles Turner, if they do this? Because, uh, you know, he is a he is a good player. Uh, and how? What would he look like here? How would he fit? How would his skill set fit next to a guy like Anthony Davis? That's next. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Okay, so how good is is Miles Turner, Tony? Uh, very. <laughs> I, one of the one of the more underappreciated players in the league for a couple reasons. One is he's been not miscast. That's not fair to Sabonis, but he's been forced to do stuff like the unglamorous parts of basketball. Uh, because he's been playing out of position a lot of the time. Like he's been, he has some interior skills, like a shot fake, put it on the floor situation or swinging the ball, hitting threes, like stuff that he can do that the Pacers didn't ask him to do very much because they had a better center on their team and Devonta Sabonis for the last couple of years. So his offensive skill set, he hasn't been able to show as much in the past couple of seasons. And at some point you are what you are, you know, maybe he can't do it consistently, but he also hasn't been put in the situations to do it. He is a little more offensively versatile than, 
he he has the chance to show in Indiana. He might have a chance if he's on the opening night roster this year to finally show that. And he's one of the best 10 defensive players in the NBA to me. And he has the experience fitting next to another big man on the defensive end. He can guard out to about 15 feet. Awesome protecting the paint. In drop coverage specifically, one of the best bigs in the league at you know corralling the ball handler and pick and roll, recovering to his own man. Shot blocking led the league twice now in his career. Like He has a lot of very high-level skills. And for a center, a good shooter. High arcing shot, hard to guard, gets it up quickly when he's feeling confident. He would fit well with any team because he can be 3 and D. That skill set fits any team. And at a position where 3 and D is hard to come by, you know he's pretty malleable in terms of the teams he fits on. He's played with other bigs. He fit with Anthony Davis. He's a pretty good unheralded player. He also can't really put it on the floor, doesn't have a lot of two-dribble moves. Like He'd be reduced on a Lakers offense to a lot of spot-up stuff and he's not the best screener which would be important on a lakers team too he does have warts in his game but he is good and i think one of the more underappreciated players in the league just because of the context he's been playing in for the last couple of years you mentioned that he's been doing some of the things that are less glamorous at, at times because of the presence of sabonis and you know doing some things that may have been kind of out of his natural character along that line though has he become like a pretty good dirty work player and the reason i ask that is just because last year it became a real problem that the Lakers did not have nearly enough players that were willing to lean into or, or even glamour. capable of it. Like, right. You know. Right. Um, every dirty work thing you'd think of in basketball, I would say he's he's fine to good at, except for rebounds. He is for a big man, a poor rebounder, admittedly. Like he some of it is that he goes for blocks and then he's out of position. He's an okay actual like box out guy but going up and getting it and like that ball is mine not his thing not the best rebounding big in the league but in general you know the gritty plays the little things stuff like that yeah he he, he, he inserts himself in those situations pretty well how you know the, he had the one season where he shot like what it was a 38 percent from three 30 almost 39 percent from three-point range it was only on 2.6 this was back in 2019 2019 um as a 22 year old I think that was the one, I mean, one of the places where people thought Turner was going to ascend in a big way. Um, he settled much more into that 33, 34 area. That's kind of where he was before. Is that who he is? Like, you know, if the Lakers got him and wanted to use him to space the floor a little bit, should they think of him as a 34, 35% guy? I would say so. You know, 38% year was a weird year for the Pacers. One in that, you know, Nate McMillan was their coach, who was one of the least encouraging guys for three-point shots in the NBA in recent memory. That's why he took so few, and it immediately jumped the next year. But when you're taking more or harder ones, especially, you're going to make fewer, right? So the natural twist of the uh, percentages took took place there. Uh, you know, Darvin Ham coming from a Budenholzer system seems like he'll be pretty encouraging. I would expect in a Lakers system and in general the shots he'd be taking, he'd settle about. 34, maybe a 35 because they'd be easier shots. You know, the guys setting him up in Indiana were not as good as LeBron James, Anthony Davis, but uh, about 34%. Yeah. I was looking over some of his numbers and, you know, the, the three point percentage, like Brian said, has sort of settled into a certain area after a high point. But last year, like whether you're talking about at the rim or like three to 10 feet, 10 to 16 feet, 16 to 23, he had career highs or close to in all of those uh, different spaces on the floor inside the arc. Is is he a more versatile offensive player or more uh, like accomplished than I think some people may realize? Like, is, is there a lot that he can do offensively 
beyond that that outside shooting that will get focused on both in this league the way it plays right now, but also alongside AD, whose outside shot just has not come along as hoped. Yeah, I think so. You know, last year, especially like you're talking about, especially through the end of December, if you can go to his game log and break it down before his January injury, he was he was about a 38% shooter. He really had it clicking. Carlisle figured out the best ways to sort of use him. And a big thing for Miles Turner is confidence. Confidence has played a big role in his game his whole career. And, you know, going into a season, something that's helped him with confidence, if you want to, you know, look into this, is like he used to do yoga with wasps, like in the room, <laughs> to like focus his mind and be more confident heading into a season. When he's confident, instead of just when he catches at the top of the key, just, you know, routine, swing it to the other side run the play kind of stuff he'll catch and shot fake and put it on the floor and, and score inside or catch and, and shoot a, a rip and elbow jumper when he's open or make these plays that are more valuable and putting the ball in the basket last year fully on display the finishing at the rim was more confident and more powerful the moves from the perimeter like i just described were better like when he's got that confidence and when he feels like he's sort of pushed to do the right plays and to be miles turner he can be more threatening on the inside like you showed last season when he was really quite good until his injury loose yeah. wasps I believe so. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Wow. And I, I think obviously everybody is, is very aware of the of the the shot blocking capabilities and his versatility of defense and you know yep. the ability to cover a lot of space. I mean, I I personally would not be want to be a coach trying to figure out how to score against an Anthony Davis and Miles Turner front court. <laughs> that is a lot of length, a lot of mobility, and a lot of shot blocking. What about his health? Because that has been a problem for the last couple seasons. Um, and big men and feet. That's not a combination you want to hear. Uh, no, it's not. His health was pretty good the first four years of his career. Last three years, 62 games is his peak in those three years. Certainly not good. Last year, um, he probably could have reached about 50-55, but they were um, not necessarily trying to win some of those games. At the end of the season, I think he was practicing a little bit, could have come back at some That's point. still not great. I mean, 55. No, no, no. Fits it's right not, in with but, the Lakers, but I but wouldn't it's not use great. the raw number necessarily to reflect right. the season that he had. 62 out of 72 three years ago is better than it looks, too, because they played mm -hmm. fewer games. But, yeah, you know, he's dealt with stuff, right? Concussions, foot injuries, leg injuries. Uh, I think he had a shoulder injury in there as well. Uh, just in general, I wouldn't say injury prone, but stuff does pop up with him that have it's like it's hard to explain the difference but like they're all in-game injuries that you can see happen so that makes me like deter from using injury prone it's not just like muscle stuff but yeah foot injuries are scary with big men obviously you know you're never confident in that with a seven footer and he did have one last season right uh but the the um i don't want to say this incorrectly the, the type of injury he had they caught it before it became the bad version of it i don't know what the difference is i should have explained that better but um you know, TJ Warren had the navicular fracture. I think this was like a bruise instead. So they caught it early enough that it will fully heal. Uh, so, yes, I, I do think he has injury concerns, but I wouldn't label him as injury prone if that distinction makes any sense. From the Lakers' perspective, if they give up those two first to bring him in, they almost certainly have to extend him to make it worth that uh, capital sacrifice. From your perspective, do you think that would be a good decision for the Lakers, the just long-term investment in Miles Turner? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I see nothing in his game that would age poorly. Oh, he he gets a little better every year. I think he fits well with what the Lakers are doing and would be worth what his maximum extension would even be at this stage of time. So, yes, I absolutely think that would be worth it for the Lakers to do, 100%.
Um, real quick before we we let you go, um, Buddy Healed, um, you guys didn't spend a ton of time with with Buddy, um, but like, what was the you know the twenty something games Pacer experience? Like, because you know, we we spent a lot of time watching him with Sacramento. Context always matters. He's been players. connected to the Lakers a lot too. Yes. So yeah, what did you, what did you guys see? Because you know some yeah. of the numbers for him, um, particularly the shooting numbers, have declined a little bit. And so you know, the, what what was the context in which he was being used with Indiana? Um, and kind of what did you see out of that? Yeah, Buddy Heald. I always start with the same story with him because a lot of players get traded to their new team and they say, you know, I liked where I was before. It was a great situation for me, but I'm excited for my fresh start. Uh, Buddy Heald got, got to Indiana first thing. And he says, I'm so excited to, to not be on the Kings anymore. <laughs> I, I'm thrilled <laughs> to be in a new look. You no, know, he didn't say that specifically, but he basically said that, right? So he was so relieved to be on a new team and he played very well for the Pacers this past season. You know, I know the shooting numbers look worse, but that is partially, not even that much worse, partially due to role to me. I mean, he shot way better on two-pointers, about as well on threes as he did with the Kings, with the Pacers, and he was a much better passer. Five assists per game. He had almost a triple-double three different times with the Pacers. Better on the glass. He was handling the ball a ton more. It was his second-best scoring portion of his career. They really, I mean, they didn't have a lot of options, but they were force feeding him possessions to try to do something, create a shot for himself, even come around screens and create for someone else. And he's not a good passer, but he definitely can make the basic reads and get other guys open. So he came here with a, with a fresh mindset and excited to be on a new team and really hit the ground running and played very well. It was a nice connecting piece as well to for Tyrese Halberton from franchise to franchise. So it's weird because I still think he's like a neutral value guy. His defense is is atrocious, to, to put it bluntly. But uh, he, he did play very well here to the point that that it makes sense for him to somewhat stick with the Pacers and and help out their operation for a little bit. But well, he's, he's even he's even older than Miles Turner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's um, the third oldest player. Yeah. The last question I would have about Heald, I mean, you mentioned the atrocious defense, and that is, in fact, his reputation and certainly my impression whenever I've watched him. Do you think he can be covered? Like, if you have enough good defenders around him, like theoretically a Patrick Beverly, Buddy Heald, LeBron being able to be a bit of a rover back, AD, Miles Turner, do you think you can cover Buddy Heald in that scenario? Uh, yeah, yes. I mean, you can, I think. If wow. You, <laughs> that was, that was qualified, sort of. I think that if you have four good defenders out of five in a lineup, you can cover almost anybody, basically. I mean, they can help off far enough or guard the worst player. Almost anybody, including healed? <laughs> <laughs> or uh, or just almost that, anybody. In the lineup you just read to me, yes, they could cover for him. In a total Lakers context, and I mean, no, no team really has. The Pacers defensive rating with Buddy Heald in the game last year was over 120. Like, it Here's was the horrible. That sounds fun. Let's get up and down the floor, <laughs> score some points. Let's, I mean, let's he, do some stuff. Here's the problem, too, Tony. The, uh, other than Austin Reeves, that lineup I, I mentioned to you, those are the Lakers' only good defenders. <laughs> so yeah. he has to play with those guys. Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah, it's tough. He is a tough guy to make up for. He gets very ball locked. You know, he he does not see the rest of the four guys a lot. And so does Westbrook. Um, <laughs> so if he was that excited to be an Indiana Pacer, imagine how excited he'll be to be a Laker. Oh my, the the game would go through the roof. Uh, yeah, that that I mean, I wonder, did anyone ever ask him last year about 
if he thought he would be a Laker, if he was excited for anything. I'm sure he did. Kyle Kuzma was convinced he was going to be in Sacramento. I'm sure Buddy Heald thought he was going to be in L.A. Yeah, I never asked him if he'd ever thought about that here. If I get the chance, maybe I will. But, yeah, I mean, I think he'd be pretty much any non-King situation. I think he'd be happy with. Uh, All right, last thing. Do you think this happens? Man, it makes makes sense for both teams that it would happen. Uh, But, I mean, at this point, if it hasn't, and the fact that the Lakers have already pivoted to different Horton Tucker trades makes me think that, I would lean no uh, on my odds, but I, I mean, it's such a, it's such a unique situation for both teams where it's possible that I can't ever rule it out. You know, I, I, mm-hmm. I do think the fact that it's popped up again after the LeBron extension means something, uh, but I would say like less, a little less than 50% chance. That's not bad. All <laughs> right. Uh, Tony East, he's the host of Locked on Pacers. Make sure you check out everything he's doing over there with, uh, the, with, with the Indy and the Eastern Conference and all that stuff. Thank you so much for giving us a, a full show. I really appreciate it. Awesome. Of course, guys. Thanks for having me. Reminder, Locked on Lakers on YouTube is where you go to see all of the fun stuff happen. Um, yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty much it. We'll see everybody next time. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.